It's a progressive disease that attacks the brain, gradually robbing people of their memory, ability to think and process information, and in advanced cases to perform even the most basic day-to-day tasks. It's estimated to be affecting over 5 million adults in the United States today, ranking it as the sixth leading cause of death in our nation overall and may be as high as third among older adults, just behind heart disease and cancer. So far, it's irreversible, and there's no prevention or cure. And as horrible as it is for those who suffer from it, it's equally heartbreaking for those who love and care for them. We're talking, of course, about Alzheimer's disease. Most of us have heard of it. Many of us know someone currently suffering from it or who sadly lost their battle with it. But what exactly is Alzheimer's disease? And despite its devastating effects today, what are the prospects for finding new drugs, treatments, and interventions to slow its progression and lead to its reversal, prevention, and possible cure? Find out the latest in Alzheimer's research for both national and local experts. And later, you'll hear from one representative who's leading the way in our state's legislature to bring awareness and assistance to Alzheimer's patients and their families here in our community and across Wisconsin. It's all next inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. As always, I'm honored to spend the next 30 minutes with you as we discover together today and on each show. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you monthly by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all our member institutions in advancing biomedical research as well as finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more cost-effective than ever, leading to meaningful, healthy outcomes. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Back in 2011, President Barack Obama signed the National Alzheimer's Project Act into law. To date, it's the most aggressive and coordinated effort for not only increasing Alzheimer's disease research, but also improving clinical care for Alzheimer's patients and services for patients and their families. The establishment of the National Alzheimer's Project Act also gave birth to an advisory council, which released its first national plan to address Alzheimer's disease in 2012, and has continued providing updates of the plan's research component annually. It's through this national plan that the research goal has been set for finding effective treatment, intervention, and prevention of Alzheimer's disease by the year 2025. It's an aggressive goal because while 2025 might sound far into the future, it's less than a decade away. To learn more, we spoke with Dr. Susanna Petencheska, Senior Advisor for Strategic Development and Partnerships and Program Director, Systems Biology and Systems Pharmacology, Division of Neuroscience at the National Institute on Aging in Washington, D.C. Dr. Petencheska is at the forefront for the development of the NIA's Alzheimer's Disease Translational Research Program and is the leader of several strategies related to achieving the National Plan's research goals. We began by having her provide a general overview of this very complex disease. So, Alzheimer's- 
Alzheimer's disease is a progressive degenerative brain disorder characterized by memory impairment and one or more additional cognitive disturbances. The disease typically presents as a gradual decline in three key symptom domains. These are activities of daily living, behavior and personality, and cognition. The key pathologic hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease are amyloid plaques and neurofibrillary tangles. The brains of many Alzheimer's disease patients also harbor various cerebrovascular lesions. During the course of the disease process, there is massive regional loss of neurons, synaptic connections, very persistent signs of inflammation and oxidative damage. Today, no interventions are currently available to slow or prevent the underlying disease process. Since the enactment of the National Alzheimer's Project Act and the establishment of the National Plan to Address Alzheimer's Disease, an annual report has been published. The progress report is an annual report that gives an overview of advances in all areas of research, ranging from research on the molecular mechanisms of the disease, research on diagnosis, assessment and disease monitoring, translational research, and clinical interventions through research on care and caregiving. So are there notable highlights from the most recent Alzheimer's Disease Progress Report? Dr. Petencheska says there are. I'll mention two notable highlights that I think illustrate the approaches we're taking to create a research enterprise that can deliver the critically needed treatment. The first is the launch of four Alzheimer's disease prevention trials made possible by advances in brain imaging and biomarker discovery. We've had evidence showing that Alzheimer's-related brain changes, such as the accumulation of amyloids, occur years, even decades before symptoms appear. These trials now, again, with the advent of uh, brain imaging technology and the ability to capture some of these changes, will be testing whether we can delay or prevent the onset of Alzheimer's symptoms in asymptomatic participants who are at high risk for Alzheimer's because of their age, genetic status, or the presence of pathologic changes detected by brain imaging. All four trials are conducted in partnership with biotech and pharmaceutical companies and nonprofit foundations. The second notable initiative is the launch of the Accelerating Medicines Partnership Alzheimer's Disease Program also a joint venture among the NIH, four biopharmaceutical companies, and several nonprofit organizations to transform the way we discover and select therapeutic targets for complex diseases such as Alzheimer's. Through this program, we have six multi-institutional academic groups working together to generate data on over 2,000 human brains at all stages of Alzheimer's disease and integrate these molecular layers of data with information on clinical traits and pathologic traits and begin to understand how do the molecular networks that become dysregulated in the course of the disease over decades, how are they interconnected with the ultimate goal to identify what are the molecular drivers of pathogenic changes that could be tractable for therapy development. Back in 2004, the NIA launched the Alzheimer's Disease Translational Initiative. So what did the research landscape relative to Alzheimer's disease look like then? And today. The Alzheimer's Disease Translational Research Program that started in 2004 has supported over 80 small projects geared towards the discovery of new candidate therapeutics for Alzheimer's and age-related cognitive declines, and close to 25 larger projects that are focused on the mid and late 
stage preclinical development of candidate therapeutics for Alzheimer's, uh, investing in ensuring that these candidate therapeutics are brought to first-in-human trial. Now, with the influx of new funds in 2014 and 2015, at the level of $125 million, we were able to not only bolster the translational program for Alzheimer's, but also bolster the range of basic translational and clinical research that the Institute supports and ensure that we pursue promising therapeutic interventions and avenues, and at the same time, invest funds in discovery research, all the way back to trying to resolve the complex genetics of Alzheimer's, trying to understand the complex biology of Alzheimer's, its heterogeneity, and multifactorial etiology. But for all the NIA does, Dr. Petencheska says it's a collaborative effort that relies on the American public to be engaged. Given that the biggest risk factor for Alzheimer's is aging, chances are that many of us will likely be either patients or caretakers. With that in mind, I think all of us have the responsibility to stay informed, not only about developments in research, but developments in policy, developments in legislation surrounding Alzheimer's disease. And also, there are many ways to get involved. Biomedical research is evolving in a way that is bringing citizens as direct participants in research at all stages of research, from discovery to clinical research. And she shares where information on national clinical research is readily available. NIH promotes clinical trial participation through the Alzheimer's Disease Education and Referral Center. The center can provide information and referrals to ongoing studies via a toll-free number, 1-800-438-4380, and by email at adir, A-D-E-A-R, at nia.nih.gov. We'll be sure to post that information along with this show on our CTSI website. Finally, despite no way to slow or stop Alzheimer's disease today, Dr. Petencheska believes there's plenty of hope for new discoveries that will get us there. There's a lot of reason to hope, in large part due to increased public attention and resources. We have a real chance to rein in the tremendous public health burden of Alzheimer's disease. We are in the middle of a renaissance in biomedical research where initiatives such as the uh, Precision Medicine Initiative, the Brain Research Initiative, are really transforming the way we conduct biomedical research so that we're able to better understand not just Alzheimer's but all diseases of the brain. Through the Precision Medicine Initiative, we will harness the advances in technology to really get a much deeper understanding of human biology, of how our genes interact with the environment to make us more or less susceptible to diseases, Alzheimer's being one of them. So it is a tremendously hopeful time. Our thanks to Dr. Susanna Petencheska, Senior Advisor for Strategic Development and Partnerships and Program Director, Systems Biology and Systems Pharmacology, Division of Neuroscience at the National Institute on Aging in Washington, D.C. Next, we spoke with a local expert to gain his insight and perspective on Alzheimer's disease in our community. Dr. Piero Antuano is director for the Memory Clinics and Research Center, Department of Neurology, and professor of neurology and biophysics at Frederick Hospital and the Medical College of Wisconsin. 
First, Dr. Antuano says that finding successful ways to diagnose and treat Alzheimer's disease is extremely challenging because, like cancer, most cases have multiple causes. What we know is that there is not one single cause that might be responsible for this condition. It would be a very simple way to address a problem because it would be easy to find a solution and a target type of intervention, whether it's pharmacological or otherwise, that could resolve the problem. But in a certain way, like cancer, where we could have many etiologies, many causes of cancer, such as a virus can cause it, normal genetical mutation can cause cancer, environmental elements can modulate or even cause cancer. And the same thing with Alzheimer's disease. We know that the genes can cause a very small minority of Alzheimer's disease cases, but the majority might be multifactorial. And this is probably a stumbling block that has resisted in many ways successful intervention from a pharmacological approach. The fact that there are probably many things that might go wrong. It's a multimodal type of disease which might express in different people in different ways. And even the environment might have a role to play. We're still very much looking at different causes of the disease and paying attention to different causes because that's where we might be maybe more successful in the future. He adds that a lot of today's Alzheimer's research is focused on prevention rather than a cure because risk factors have been identified which could lead to prevention of the disease. That is a very valid approach. I mean, we don't need to find sometimes a cure for disease. We need to find a way to prevent it. And finding risk factors is the approach to prevent from getting a disease. And I would say the biggest successes in medicine have always been in the prevention and avoidance of a disease and actually in treating many of the kind of diseases that we're faced of today. Family risk and aging are probably the two very well-known risk factors for contracting the disease. So having a first-degree family member might be a risk factor for the disease. As we grow older, the incidence starts to increase dramatically after age 65, all the way up to age 85, so that by 85, around 30, 40% of the population might have Alzheimer's disease. But we know that there are other risk factors can be modulated, and that's where a significant bulk of Alzheimer's disease research is going. We know, for instance, that early life education might be a protective effect from contracting dementia in the later decades. There are some risk factors such as hypertension, high cholesterol, and obesity in midlife, which might predict the risk for contracting dementia 10, 20 years later. This is a complicated puzzle that uh, I think it will eventually and relatively soon be summarized, crystallized in some practical recommendations that we will have for the prevention of dementia. And if we look at how we have conquered other diseases like infectious diseases and even cancer, this is a kind of natural progression. We know what causes the disease, we know risk factors, we still have no way to intervene and change it, but we know how to diagnose it. And that's where we are now with Alzheimer's disease. The next step, I hope, will be eventually a pharmacological intervention. Alzheimer's is a progressive disease. So how can we distinguish between normal signs of aging and the onset of Alzheimer's? That's a clinical diagnostic challenge that we have in the professional field, but also people do have in the community. That is hard to distinguish sometimes the different changes, the many changes that ages introduces with something that is just above that threshold that we would accept age as an explanation. When it comes to cognitive functions, we are totally different from each other. And therefore, making this assessment is a very personalized thing. Understanding the life history of a specific person allows us to obtain what we would consider a baseline. We live in a very hypercognitive society. We are very in tuned in the fact that we may have a cognitive decline, 
but we don't care if we cannot run as fast as when we were 20 or 30. But when it comes to cognition, we are very, very sensitive to any subtle change. I would say we become concerned when people around the subject are also aware of a functional change that the person is becoming impaired in their activities of daily living. Forgetfulness becomes now a memory problem and affects your daily life, whatever your daily life might be, will then become basically a medical concern. Through the Medical College's Memory Disorders Program, Dr. Antoano tells us that clinical studies on Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia are being conducted by his team. First, there's research utilizing MRI technology. We're doing studies using functional MRI at rest. The brain scan can pick up normal fluctuation of magnetic waves, which are indirect expression or how well the brain is connected. In the early stages of dementia or even in the pre-dementia stages, we see that there is some dysfunction of this kind of harmonious correlations and connections of magnetic activity. It's almost like listening to an orchestra, and you don't have to be a musician to understand that there's a violin plane off key. We look at these patterns of waves to understand if somebody could be a future risk of cognitive impairment. The purpose of this is that soon, I hope, there will be some pharmacological intervention to be offered at people who may be at risk or have biological markers, maybe an MRI, that may tell us that this person might be moving into early mild cognitive impairment. We know that if we do have a pharmacological intervention, we need to apply it at the earliest stage possible to have a chance to slow down changes occurring in the brain. And there are drug intervention studies being conducted locally as well. There are several drugs currently being tested. The more recent and exciting approach consists in stimulating the immunological system of the person who has early dementia in such a way that they can actually build up antibodies against the amyloid protein, which is one of the biomarkers or abnormal proteins which appear to accumulate in the brain. And the approach consists in actually giving antibodies to the subject directly in the vein or actually stimulating them by giving them an antigen, a vaccine, which will stimulate the formation in the person of antibodies against this amyloid protein. This is just one approach. There are many others because the disease is multifactorial and it's most likely that one drug will not be the answer to the problem. We may need to treat Alzheimer's disease like we are treating AIDS and HIV with several medications which act in different locations to really make a difference biologically. As we know, Alzheimer's doesn't only affect the patient. And for that reason, Dr. Antoano and the Memory Disorders Program provide education and counseling for patients and caregivers alike. It's important the education of the caregiver because it's really a team approach. We spend one or two visits making the diagnosis with the patient, but then we spend five, eight, ten years with the caregiver managing the changes that eventually occur as the spouse or the parent progresses into the dementia. These changes are very stressful on the caregiver, probably more than a physical change if they had congestive heart failure if they had a liver disease because the person you've known all your life is changing and that is quite demanding emotionally in providing care for somebody who might become uncooperative who does not recognize the caregiver who might misinterpret facts and have delusions so the education in the caregiver and the family and how to manage these things and especially tell them that these things might happen in the next three months six months prepares them to manage these things so that they feel in control this part uh, done frequently by nurses and social workers is an essential part of managing people with Alzheimer's disease and dementia because most of the management consists in behavioral management of the person. There is also the economical aspect that this kind of care is really not reimbursed by insurance companies. 
So it's very costly. Frequently, family members have to make arrangements to go part-time or retire so that they can provide care because this person cannot be alone. Frequently, the person with dementia has to move to an environment where either professionally or family members can provide the supervision that the person needs in an environment safe, first of all, but also provides a quality of care, which really means quality of life. That's Dr. Piero Antuano, Director of the Memory Clinics and Research Center, Department of Neurology, and Professor of Neurology and Biophysics at Frederick Hospital and the Medical College of Wisconsin. Our thanks to Dr. Antuano for sharing his expertise on today's show. Just last month, it was announced that Wisconsin State Representative John Jagler from Watertown, Wisconsin, has authored a bill included in a package of legislation that's intended to help adults suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia, as well as their families and caretakers. The bill comes from several hearings held across our state by Assembly Speaker Robin Voss's Special Task Force on Alzheimer's and Dementia. Representative Jagler was appointed to serve on this bipartisan task force to study Alzheimer's and dementia, specifically examining the quality of care and community resources available and increasing awareness of these conditions. We caught up with Representative Jagler, who tells us that the special task force he's part of is very important because it comes out of a groundswell of interest and need throughout our state. The whole uh, genesis of this was researchers and doctors and constituents coming up and saying, we got a problem here in looking at dementia statistics and Alzheimer's statistics. We found out that it's the sixth leading cause of death in our country and the only one in the top ten that doesn't have a cure, that can't be prevented. The costs associated with this, in addition to the turmoil that it causes in family and, and the fatal ending for many, is just growing as the country and the state gets older. It's a problem that we need to take care of, and that's why this task force was formed to kind of take a look at, first of all, identify the problem and and educate legislators about what is happening in our community. So that's kind of uh, where this whole thing kicked off from, from the speaker's standpoint. And I was very, very honored to be appointed to the task force. He adds that the special task force is also important based on its neutral, balanced look into the issues surrounding Alzheimer's and dementia. We have standing committees in the legislature. We have health committees and aging committees and things like that. But what the special task force does is it immediately identifies that you're taking all politics out of it. There's a Republican chair, there's a Democrat co-chair. It's made up of equal members, unlike other committees in the legislature. And he says that it comes as a timely offshoot of an earlier, more broad task force on mental illness. Last session, Speaker Voss did a special task force on mental health, and I was part of that task force as well. And what you do in the task force settings, you travel around the state of Wisconsin, hold hearings in different places, and we found out there was a component that we weren't touching on in that mental health focus, and that was aging and dementia issues and Alzheimer's issues. Alzheimer's just kept on coming back over and over and over again last session, and it was formed at a time when we were talking about the budget, and we were seeing expanding Medicare costs. It just eats up an unbelievable portion of our budget. Anything you can do to keep people in their homes, the better it is for everybody. So what kind of reaction has the Special Task Force on Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia received as Jagler and others conducted their study around our state? We were told time and time again, thank you for looking into this. Thank you for identifying this as a problem. You know, A, letting the people know that we hear you, and B, that we're going to work on it in a bipartisan fashion, and C, to educate members of the legislature. So I think the initial benefits of this is just letting the public know it's not all fighting in Madison. We're getting along, and all of these bills are great bipartisan efforts. 
And what does the package of bills, including the one Jagler authored, specifically call for? Included in the package of bills is a bill for funding for research with a specific focus because it's easy to say to the UW or to the medical college or to whoever, here's X amount of funding and use it as you will for research. We wanted to tighten the language a little bit up. So we allocated funding to look at specifically the relatives of people who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and to start drawing some blood from them because we know if you have a relative that has had this, you're more likely to suffer from Alzheimer's later on in life. So we're starting blood panels on these people and examining the blood to see if there's a certain type of protein that exists, when it happens, when it occurs, when it starts to be seen. If you can expand on that and identify something, then the huge grant dollars can start to come in on a national level and more funding can come. And the hope is maybe that will someday lead to a cause. That may someday lead to a cure. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. But I'd say the major focus isn't so much on research in these bills. It's kind of a scattershot of the problems that we heard and trying to chip away at them. And one of the things that we'd heard over and over and over again is we need more funding for the respite care, for family members that are taking care of Alzheimer's and dementia relatives and how they need a break, how we can do that, of expanding the, the number of care specialists, things like that. And also some education funding for educating employers. Maybe your employees are starting to show signs of dementia or Alzheimer's, or maybe this employee might need a break. If they're caring for somebody, maybe there's time where you can get some leave and some help there. Now, earlier in the show, we heard from Dr. Piero Antuano. Dr. Antuano sees value in Jagler's bill and the others, and he's especially hopeful that they'll indeed address the need for better access to Alzheimer's disease interventions throughout our state. Yes, this bill will have an effect of disseminating within our state resources and services and mostly information and education for the caregiver that otherwise would be very difficult to reach. The interventions sometimes are relatively simple, but they need to be accessible. And one of the problems, I would say, in Alzheimer's disease management is just this absence of access. If you live in a rural area and you don't have access to adult daycare programs, support groups, information about the disease, the care of the patient suffers. Just to give you an example, in the 50s, the average person with Alzheimer's disease would live three years. Today, we're going closer to 10. We still don't have a cure, but we have many treatments, many interventions. We can anticipate problems. And it's, this is what this bill seems to provide, is the access to these uh, day-to-day interventions and psychosocial management, which pretty sure will translate in quality of care for the people with Alzheimer's disease, which, as you know, from a demographic point of view, it's... Uh, it's a big elephant in the room. And Jagler adds, if you are in favor of these bills, there's something you can do to help support them. The best way to do that is to contact your individual legislator, specifically your senator. I think most of the state assemblies on board, we work so directly with this. I think the knowledge of these bills and support for them is pretty strong in the assembly. But if you can call your individual state senator and say, hey, have you taken a look? This is important to the community. This is important to Wisconsin. That would be the best thing to get these things moving. That Wisconsin State Representative John Jagler of the 37th Assembly District with information on a package of bills he and others introduced in our state's legislature to bring assistance and support to Alzheimer's patients, but also their families and caretakers. Next, our CTSI on the community brings us exciting news from one of our partner institutions, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, as UWM recently had its status raised to the highest level in becoming an R1 doctoral research university, according to the 2015 Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Education list. 
This puts them among just over 100 top-tier research institutions in the United States. And UWM Chancellor Dr. Mark Monet calls it a very proud moment in the university's history. We agree. On behalf of all the CTSI partner institutions, congratulations to UWM for earning this distinction. Finally today, I want to tell you about a new CTSI community opportunity. Through CTSI Discovery Radio, our goal is to bring news, information, and opportunities to you. So here's a new opportunity we're offering going forward, related to this show's topic and topics of future shows as well. We're calling it our CTSI Community Advisory Board, and we encourage you to sign up and become a member. Here's how it'll work. If you would like to become a Community Advisory Board member, you can do so by going to our website at www.ctsi.mcw.edu. Click on the Community tab at the top of the home page. Then look for Community Advisory Board. Once there, enter your name, an email address, and then select from a list of topics of interest. Then, whenever we have information, updates, or opportunities for you to attend public forums where you can learn more and share your feedback on the topics you select, we'll reach out to you, our Community Advisory Board member. It's easy to sign up, it'll keep you connected and informed, and it's free to join. Again, go to our website at www.ctsi.mcw.edu. Click on the Community tab at the top of the home page. Then look for Community Advisory Board. And with that, we're at the end of this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. I hope you've enjoyed today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month, so make an appointment on your calendar to join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute and all our affiliate institutions and members, this is Brian Bellmer wishing you happy, healthy days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to this program online and on demand, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. And be sure to share your knowledge of this show and the CTSI with all of your family members and friends. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, co-produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer. Engineered and co-produced by Tom Crawford and Jeremy Kuzniar in collaboration with WMSC Radio. The CTSI and this radio program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.